with the seriousness of the thought of Jesus Christ coming back. We find ourselves sometimes, Lord, becoming very relaxed, though we won't say it, but we act it as though he's not coming back. Would you help us, Lord, to come to that place that he could come at any moment and things could take place very quickly. So would you just speak to our hearts through your word that you may reassure us once again that we ought to be a people looking for Jesus and not for the future, per se, of life here on planet Earth, but our future in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Minister to us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title, When Will It Happen? And that's the dilemma that we really find ourselves in sometimes. When will this happen? When will that happen? When will this take place? When will that take place? And what we want to really focus in on is simply this. What God has made clear to us, that's what we want to focus in on. What is not clear to us, we can hear different views, different opinions, but we really want to just really focus in on what is written because that's what's important. There is much that we do not know about the end times. And the reason we don't know it because God didn't give it to us. We don't have all the answers of how everything is going to wind up. We don't really know. But God knows, and that's what's important. But what we do know, we ought to take seriously. And we need to understand that. What we do know, the question is, are we taking what we do know seriously? Because if you're not taking what you do know seriously, why should you be given any more? Insight. And we're not responding to it in a proper manner. Then what's the reason of revealing it to us? We need to understand that we need to take the rapture seriously, the second coming of Christ seriously. And I know it's so easy to just get caught in life and somehow we just flow with life. And we're just looking for the next year, the next year, the next year, the next generation, the next generation. And that is so easy to get caught up into and somehow put the second coming of Christ way back way back, way back here that we hardly even give it any real consideration or thought. We need to take it very seriously. 
this does not mean you have to have the answers to everything. And I want to clarify something. I don't have the answers to it all. I'm just like you. I'm searching. I'm looking. I'm seeking. And yes, there's many different books we can read. If you go up on my desk right now, there's about ten different books on my desk. They cover premillennial, midmillennial, postmillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. Why? You want to read everybody that you can read on this subject. None of them, as Adrian Rogers says, have it 100% correct. But we need to be concerned with what Scripture says. And because we're concerned with what Scripture says, we have an opinion about it when the subject comes up. Now, Adrian Rogers, he's, he's one of those pastors that I really care about and listen to, and sometimes I fall asleep with him. Elaine and I will fall asleep with him uh, with one of his sermons or whatever. He sat on the board at Tacoa Falls College. He gave our commencement speech. We shared the stage together. Uh, they would pick him up at the airport, uh, knew of him, and had a little time with him, but a dynamic preacher. But Adrian says, and I like what he says about it. He says, I'm not on the program committee. I'm not there telling God how he has to bring this thing to an end. I'm not there telling God when he has to come, whether it be in the pre, the middle, the post. I'm not there directing God. I'm not on the program committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. That when he comes, all he hears is my praise. He doesn't hear any complaining. He hears my praise. He sees me rejoicing over his coming. And that's what's important. That Jesus is going to show up. I don't know when, but he's going to show up. Now, my last message covered the resurrection and rapture. Why? Without the resurrection, there can be no rapture. And as Paul says, without the resurrection, we are all men who should be pitied for what we hold to be truth. Without the resurrection, there is no rapture, second coming, there is no judgment of the saints, there's no white throne judgment, there's nothing that has now been said that is really true unless the resurrection itself is true and Jesus is alive and living. And see, a lot of us sometimes, if we're honest, doubt that. And we doubt the issue because a lot of our young people are struggling if Jesus Christ really is God. They're struggling with it. Many of us are fighting that issue. Who is Jesus Christ, really? Everything hinges on that question 
did he come forth from the grave? We know things are going to happen, but we don't know when. We have an order, but we do not have the when of the timetable for it. We know there's going to be a rapture. We know there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. We know there's going to be a white throne judgment. We know there's going to be a millennial period. We know there's going to be tribulation or there's going to be Jacob's time of tribulation or Jacob's trouble. We know there's going to be a, a beast, a second beast. We know there's going to be a mark that is going to be given. We know there's going to be the seals, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. We can't say when. We can't even say, because the way we sometimes put it, we put this has to happen, this has to happen, this one has to happen, then this has to happen. If you look at war and just look at Ukraine right now, what you see is taking place is war, death, famine, disease. They're all taking place when? Right now. That's why they're in such a rush of trying to bury the bodies. Because the diseases that can come forth from those bodies, those corpses just lying there. The infections that take place. So all those things can be happening, what? Simultaneously, not just one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. But they all could be going on at the same time. Now, all these things are going to take place in what we believe is in a seven-year period. And we don't know how because, again, God has not given to us the exact time. He has not given us that. This is going to happen on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. This is going to happen at on Saturday at 9 a.m. in the morning. We don't have that. But he has given us enough information that we can be watchful and we can be ready. We can be watchful and he and we can be ready. Now, go with me to Isaiah 55 because I want to establish some found some foundational work here if we can. In Isaiah 55, <coughs> Isaiah 55, am I, am I still on? Isaiah chapter 55. I want to pick up in Verse 6, and we're going to go through verse 8. He says, Seek the Lord while he what? May be found. In America right now, there's a time that we're living, but we're seeing it beginning to close because even in America, there is becoming more and more of an interest of shutting down the voice of Christianity. There is becoming more and more of a voice that wants to do away with the Bible and do away with certain principles and standards of God. 
as one lieutenant governor basically said, man or woman, you can go under the knife, you can have this type of surgery, you can have that type of surgery, you can do whatever you want to do, and you can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, you can label yourself this and that, but the DNA comes down to be one or the other, male or female. No matter what you change on the outside, what God created you to be, you still are. And he brings us to this thought. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked, so there it describes who he's talking to right there. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and our God for he will freely pardon. But then when you get in this verse 8, I think God is talking to all of us at this point. Not just to the wicked man. The wicked man is to forsake his what? His thoughts. Forsake his ways. Why? They are against the Lord. Then he comes down and he simply he explains why. For my thoughts, he personalizes it. My thoughts are not what? Your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I was asking a person this question concerning the rapture because oftentimes it's taught with the rapture is that if the rapture takes place, we're going to have chaos. And yet, God is not a God of confusion. What would be harder to explain? A pallet out of the plane, and as we saw this week, when two men tried to do what? Exchange. What happened to the plane? Went down and crashed. Well, that's very logical, isn't it? That's man's thought. That if there's no pallet, that plane's going to what? Now, what would happen if that plane had no pallet and it landed? didn't crash. What would be more amazing? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His way of doing things is not our way of doing things. And even though these things are going to come to pass, we need to understand something, and this is what's so important for us. Can anybody here give me the day in which the day of tribulations will start? But let me share something with you. Does war start on the day that war breaks out? Or has war been going on before the war really starts? Does the fight between a husband and wife just start when it becomes evident or has that thing been brewing a while? Tribulation is going to kind of like trickle in on us and we're going to find ourselves seeing it somewhat as the norm. Because we're being accustomed 
to accept wrong as right. And we're seeing wrong as right. That which used to be very terrible for us, now it can be very enjoyable for us. That which we used to be saddened by, now we may laugh at. That there's a change taking place definitely in how we perceive and see things and respond to them. So tribulations is not just going to start, boom, right here. Tribulations is something that has been going on for some time. Now, whether you want to call it the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period of tribulation, because before tribulations ever start, there has to be a time in which the people are conditioned by Satan. Let's deal with what we do know. For Deuteronomy basically tells us those things that are hidden are hidden, but those things that are revealed are for us. They're ours. And we want to deal with the revealed as much as possible. Now, I'm not trying to convince you one way or another. What I am trying to convince you of is simply this. What is written is true. Follow me? What God's word says is true. What God says is going to take place is going to take place. I don't care how horrible it is, how unbelievable it is, it's going to take place. Because he said it's going to. Now, what is written? Let's go to Mark 13. Because we need to establish this point too. Mark 13 and verse 32. We have charts and we've had some people with charts and they've even dated the charts. And we've had people who have dated the return of Christ and we've seen those dates come and go. We've had people who said that World War II was the beginning of Armageddon, beginning of the tribulation. We've had people, World War I, everything. We can go back through history and just spot different areas that what has been said about this. And yet we're still here. And that's one of our problems sometimes. That God, we don't understand the patience of God. And the reason we're still here because God is still saving He's long-suffering. But in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, he makes it very clear to us. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven. The angels don't know. They're right there with God. They don't know. And then Jesus, while he's in this flesh, makes this confession also. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know. If the angels don't know and Jesus didn't know, how is it that as men we come up with the knowledge of men? And he wants to reassure us 
that is going to happen, but no man knows the day or the hour. Yes, we should be wise enough to read the time in which we're in, and we can say, yes, it's not like it used to be. Yes, this has gotten worse. Yes, the water's starting to boil, but we still don't know what. Over to Matthew 24, 36. And, and it's important enough that God says it over and over again. 26, 36. And he comes out and he says, let me get there. Then Jesus, then Jesus went. Oh, no. 24, chapter 24, not 26. 24, 36. No one knows about the day or the hour. Again, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only who? The Father. The only the Father. Now, I want you to put something in mind, Galatians 4, 6. In the fullness of time, God did what? Sent forth his Son. In the fullness of time again, God will send forth his son. For the rapture, for the second coming. In the fullness of time, God will do that. Even for Satan to truly manifest himself, we're going to see it in scripture. God has an appointed time for that. An appointed time. Satan can't do it beforehand. He can only do it at the appointed time in which God has given unto him. We need to understand that now, that yes, it's at that appointed time. Luke chapter 12, verse 40. Luke 12, verse 40. There's a little change up here, but I want you to catch it because it's important to see it and hold to it. He says, you must be ready. You must be what? Ready. Now, that's what the Christian is to really be about, preparing himself. For John says in John 3, that the person who has this hope in them purifies their what? Their life. Their life is changing. Why? They're getting ready to go where? Home. So I'm shedding this world and preparing to go home because I have that hope that Jesus is coming. And he says, you also must be ready. Why? Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not what? Yeah. When you don't expect him, then he comes. When we're not expecting him, he comes. It may be the worst of times. 
when he shows. He doesn't come exactly when I'm wanting. He doesn't come when I think it's urgent. He doesn't come when I think it's the right time. He comes exactly when he's ready to come. And most likely it's going to be at a time that I'm not expecting. But he's coming. And our position is to be ready. Now the attitude of the people. And he gives us an illustration of this over in Luke also in chapter 17. He gives us this attitude of the people that may even be the attitude of today. And I want you to understand, before the flood came, God warned the people. God warned the people. Noah spoke about it. So it's not that the people were totally ignorant of it. The problem was they didn't believe it. And our problem today is that many of us don't believe it. Not that we haven't heard it, not that we haven't been warned, not that we haven't been told about it, but do we really believe it? Look what he says here. Start with me in verse 26 through 28. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will be the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day. Hey, it don't matter. I've heard it. Don't tell me anything else about it. I'm going on with life. I'm living life to the fullest. I'm doing my thing right now. I'm eating. I'm drinking. I'm having fun. I'm partying. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Life just goes on as though nothing is going to what? Take place. There's no anticipation about it. There's no looking for it. There's no question, should I be in this place or that place? Because, see, if I'm really looking for him, I don't want to be in the wrong place. I want to be in the right place. And he goes on, he says, in verse 28, he said, it was the same in the days of who? Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day of Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Can we give such a deaf ear to God that it brings destruction on ourselves? Can we be that we hear, but we don't believe it? And yet, we then reap what, in sense, we have sown? What is the Christian to be doing? Go back to Mark 14, go to verse 35. He says in 35, therefore keep watch. You 
are to be aware. You are to be alert. You are to see what's happening in society. You are to see what's happening in culture, in your community. You are to see what's happening into the world, in the world. In one sense, we could say things are getting better. We have technology like we never had before. John Newton was called crazy back in England. John Newton was called crazy because John Newton said there's going to come a point that man will be able to travel 20 miles in a minute. But back then, you only had horse and buggy and it wasn't capable of doing that. Today, it's capable of what? Doing that. But though he said it, people assumed that he was crazy. That one day, men would be able to move that fast. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. Today, we can do it. We have a vast technology that gives all kind of information. We don't consider the information sometimes being wrong. It's just information. We don't check who's giving the information. <laughs> we just accept the information. But look at our morality. Where is it going? Is it going up or is it going down? Look at our families. Are they going up? Or are they going down? Look at the self-respect that men have for themselves and self-respect women have for themselves. Is it going up or is it coming down? We argue about pornography, but if all the women in por pornography would respect themselves, remove themselves from it, we wouldn't have pornography. And yes, men do have a responsibility also. But what I'm saying is this here. Which way are you going? Are you watching? Are you seeing? Are you hearing? Is it getting better? Or is it getting worse? And that's what he says when he says, therefore, keep watch. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't be saying, well, I'm not paying attention to it. Need to pay attention to it. Need to pay attention to Israel. Because Israel really is a time clock for God. But we need to be paying attention of everyday life and how people are living it. Are they living for the Lord or are they pushing back from the Lord? Are they cursing the Lord? Or are they drawing nigh unto him? He says, keep watch." Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crow at dawn. We don't know what? The when. What we do know, he's coming. What we do know is he's coming. And what we ought to do is be watchful. That's what we're commanded to do, is to be watchful. And that whole process is something that you and I have to teach ourselves to do. Go back over to Matthew again, 24. 
Matthew 24. Twenty-four, forty-two. Therefore, again, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time at night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. If he really knew what time. What we're being asked is this is to be watchful even though we don't know what? The exact time. And then he comes down a little bit further in verse 44. Look what he says. So you also must be ready. How many of you plan on a trip and you say we're going to leave at 5.30 in the morning to beat the traffic? Now, did you say... At 5.30 in the morning, you get up and start getting ready to leave, or are you leaving at 5.30? Sometimes people get that confused. They don't start getting ready until 5.30. Well, you want to be out the door by 5.30. So packing should have been when? The night before. So that when 5.30 come, we're ready to grab the bags and go where? Out the door. He says, you be ready. Don't let nothing on this earth cause you or hinder you from being caught up with the Lord or wanting to be with Jesus. Don't hang on to anything here. That you would say, not right now, Lord. Not right now. Give me a minute, Lord. You ain't going to have a minute. Either you're ready or you're not. Either you know him or you don't. And he says, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not, what again? Expect it. He's coming. We can't say exactly when. Now, go over to Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Acts chapter 1, 10 and 11. Here are the apostles. They're watching Jesus being caught up in the air. Look what it says. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white shout, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will what? Come back. What's important that we believe that he's what? Coming back. In the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. Now, what's holding Satan back? What's keeping Satan from really manifesting himself with his full power and his full strength? And I want to mind you, Satan and God are not two equals. God is God all by himself, and he is the Almighty. Satan's little power is nothing to God's power. 
Satan don't know everything. God knows everything. Satan can't be everywhere. God can be everywhere. And sometimes we want to contribute to Satan that only belongs to God. But the question, what is holding Satan back? Now, you have to put three books together in trying to understand this. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelation chapter 13, and Daniel. And the whole thing is understanding that Satan is being held back and he cannot truly manifest or do the things he desires to do at this very time. He can't do it. And something's holding him back. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to start at verse 1. Because it's here and then it's there. And sometimes scripture moves us from this point to this point very quickly and we don't catch it. But there's key words sometimes that are given. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. Our being gathered to him is the rapture. Our being gathered to him. We're being caught up, those that are his. Then Paul jumps not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. No, the rapture hasn't taken place yet. It will still take place. Now, verse 3 becomes part of that jump. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until they rebel yet. Now, we can't have it both ways. We can say, boy, the rapture can take place anytime. No signs, nothing. You can go. But the scripture here is saying, not until the rebellion takes place. So that rebellion is talking about his second coming. Not the rapture. The second coming. He goes on, and he's saying... <coughs> Don't let anyone deceive you. Who's going to deceive you? Who's going to deceive you? And how will you be deceived? That's what, as parents and grandparents, we ought to be worried about. Is our children, our grandchildren, and future generations being deceived? Because there's going to be such a lie that is told that somehow is going to be believable. Now, one part of that lie is going to be this. How do I explain if the rapture has taken place, all these people missing? There has to be an answer. People look for answers. When something strange takes place, something out of the ordinary takes place, they look for somebody to give them some type of explanation some kind of word that says, okay, I can understand this now. And it says, boy, this man who Satan chooses to empower 
will tell such a lie that he convinced the people. The second part of that is going to be this, that he convinced them that he's God. If he can convince them that he's God, he can convince them what happened to the other folks. If he can convince them that he's God, then he can convince them over the other one. Where the one is alive, he's not God. But because they believe it, they will also believe the other. So he goes on and he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion. Now you got to ask yourself, what is the rebellion? The rebellion is lawlessness against God. But somebody always leads a rebellion. People, when they rebel, always have somebody leading them. When the angels in heaven rebelled against God, they had somebody leading them. Lucifer. There's always someone leading the rebellion. And he says, there's a rebellion that occurs. And the man of lawlessness... So it's going to be a man, it's going to be a human being, but it's going to be someone who cares nothing about God or God's word. He's called the lawless one. Why? Sin is lawlessness. So when you go back to 1 John, let's go there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Because it gives us the definition there of lawlessness. And we need to understand that. So he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is what? Lawlessness. And he calls him lawless. Why? He breaks every rule of God. Everybody who commits adultery is breaking what? God's rule. Everyone who's out here having sex without being married is breaking what? God's rule. Everyone who's out here using all this profanity, good water and sweet water, cannot come out the same well, breaking God's rule. Everyone who shows himself unkind is breaking God's rule. And he says he's lawlessness. He cares nothing about God's principles or standards or law. And we, even as Christians, are coming very quickly to a place we care very little about God's law or standards or principles. We operate on what we feel is right and what we think is right rather than on the word of God. And it's lawlessness. It's lawlessness. And he says, rebellion occurs in the man of lawlessness. Now that man is somebody that Satan has chosen to empower. And that person has accepted Satan to be the head of their life or to rule in their life. Occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He will be revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself. 
Now catch his character. He will oppose and will exalt who? Himself. Over everything that is called what? God. Or is worshipped concerning God. So that he sets himself up. He sets himself up in God's temple. Now listen to this. Underline this part. Proclaiming himself to be what? God. Jump down with me to verse, verse 11, 11 and 12. Hold to that verse 4 because he's setting himself up. He's calling himself God. People are believing that. Go to verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. They want to believe it, so God helps them to believe it. He gives them a strong delusion that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed what? The truth. But have delighted in wickedness. Lawlessness always lead to wickedness. Go over to Daniel with me. Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Come down in verse 31. He says, His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple. Where is he at? He's in the temple where God should be worshipped. What is he doing? Desecrating the temple. His army forces will rise up to desecrate the temple, the fortress, and will abolish the daily sacrifices. The things of God now will be no more. We're seeing that in this country that God is eroding Remove God's name from this. Remove the Ten Commandments from this. Remove any scriptures from this. Don't say open prayers in public. Don't do this. Don't do it. We see this erosion slowly taking place. The sad part about it, we're expecting it. We're expecting it. Remember when I was asked to pray for the commencement of Acting You, and the president called and said, Pastor Brown, I now ask and request that you would not close your prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. And he asked, could you do that? And I said, sure, I can do that. And I closed that prayer in the name that is above every name, the name that is only given under heaven and earth, whereby men must be saved. But yet, we're being eroded. Act in general, as a chaplain, I was asked to pray for Christmas dinner for the doctors and, every, and, and the staff as we had our banquet. And the Jewish chaplain came over and asked me, Pastor Brown, would you not close the prayer in the name of Jesus? And I simply asked him, if I were to ask you not to pray the way that you pray, would you do it? 
that you do. And sometimes we're asked not to say the name of Jesus based on the very fact we might offend somebody. Or if we pray, we might offend somebody. Or we read scripture, we might offend somebody. And yet there's coming that day, all that's going to cease. And if you do it, you're going to be killed. And he says, boy, his army forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifices. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. The one who calls himself God will be set up. With flattery, he will corrupt those. With what? With flattery. Because you may be able to speak very intelligent, and you allow your intelligence and your wisdom and your knowledge to deceive someone, that doesn't make it right. And he says through his charismaticness, through his flattery, through his skillful communication, he corrupts those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly what? Now, do you really know your God? Do you really know who you believe in? Because if not, you're going to believe a lie. Do you really know who you believe in? Do you really know who you worship? Do you really know who you pray to? But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many. There's the witnesses that take place during this time. Many, though, for a time, they will fall by the sword. So there are many that are going to be killed because of their witnesses and their stand for the Lord. Or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help. And many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be defiled, purified, and made spotless. Now catch this last part. Until the time of the end, for it will still come. No matter what's taking place and what you think may be stopping it, it's coming. It will still come. Now catch this, at the appointed time. At the appointed time. Go back to Thessalonians 1. I want you to hold in mind appointed time. Understand something. Our time frame is not God's time frame. God's not working in a 24-hour period. He gives us time periods. He gives us the numbers and so forth. These and this, but that's not God's time period, per se. He's awakening us to something. So in Thessalonians, he says, and we're going to have to close here before we get to Revelation 13 to see the beast and how the beast sets and how the beast gets in there. He says, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God 
or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed, now catch this, his proper time. His proper time. What's holding him back? Let me give you three things real quick. One, the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes it's the Holy Spirit himself holding back. It could be the Holy Spirit and the believer who is causing the believer to be light and salt. And they're going to die for their witness as we just read. But they're the light and they're the salt that is holding back the realms of Satan, of Satan really manifesting himself right now. The third one is that the Holy Spirit working through the church or through the group, the church, the body of Christ that is holding back Satan from manifesting himself is one of those three or a combination of all three, but all include the Holy Spirit doing it. And Satan cannot manifest himself until the Holy Spirit is removed in the manner in which he so desires. Now, in that word, appointed time, understand it. Satan cannot overrule God. He cannot do it before time. He can only do it at the appointed time in which God has given to him. And you see that in Revelation 13. He can only move at the appointed time in which God allows him to pour out all his anger upon mankind and all that he wants to do to mankind. It's an appointed time that he has that God is in control of. And only God will release or call back the power of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, that Satan might manifest himself now. Now, understand this principle, too, because it's given to us in John, and it's true even in the Old Testament. It takes the conviction of the Holy Spirit to save a person. It takes the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say that this is true. So even those saints that we read about in Revelation that many say have come to the knowledge of the Lord, has to come to the knowledge of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he has not totally been removed, but his power has been drawn back in order that Satan might totally manifest himself. And we'll pick up next week because we want to see, because here in Thessalonians, it says that he works miracles and he does this and he does that. We're going to put that with Revelations 13, the things that the beast do, the first beast, and then we also want to look at what the second beast does and what we're going to see is the triune Satan as is the triune God. There is so much in here that we need to grasp and believe. to send Jesus back at the appointed time. 
He won't come late. He won't come early. He'll ask you to drop by. Father, we thank you and praise you that your word gives us insight to that, Lord, to what we need to know. And there's nothing wrong with us searching and searching and using our imagination, but Lord, help us to hold to what is written. Help us to hold to what is written and to believe that. And knowing that, Lord, it's your word that will keep us. It is the God in whom we believe that will keep us. And even though the sword may come, we can say as Paul, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Lord, minister to us as we go through this study of end times, as we look into different passages. Minister to us, I pray in Jesus' name. And if you're here, and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture is true. Today is the day of salvation for you. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. If you're willing to say that, he's willing to say to you, come up here. That when he comes, you will gather with the other saints to meet him in the air. When he comes at the second coming, he will not disown you. He will claim you for himself. You're the one who got to make the decision. Do I believe or not? Father, minister to us in Jesus' name.